Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. So today I have the privilege and honor of being able to sit down and discuss the artwork of JTunes. I discovered him on Twitter through members of his community, always highlighting his artwork, promoting him, and speaking so highly of him. And fortunately, I was able to be in a space with him when he was discussing his latest art. His community was there. It was like an open town hall. And after hours and hours of spending time with him in the space, I ended up purchasing my first piece from the collection. And now I am a full-fledged collector. And I absolutely love what he is doing. And the conversations that I had with him were just so great that I said, I would love to share this with the world because his insight as to how he got into the space, what his love for art is, his inspiration for the collection, there was just so much to take away from this conversation. So I am so happy to sit down with him and share this information with you. Hopefully you enjoy it. Thank you for coming on the show. Of course, usually this is a solo podcast. However, on the Sundays like this, I like to released an episode which i like to call the sunday special because i have wonderful guests like yourself so thank you for taking the time for coming on here doing this giving a little insight about what you're doing in the nft space and so much is going on always some exciting things but projects like this is definitely great to have a conversation with people i appreciate you bringing me on here and taking the time to do this with me so just a little bit of background about you i found you as with most people and nft projects and people that we find in the space found you on twitter and People within your community that have been collecting speak very highly of you. And of course, that is how I ended up on your page, looking through your things. And then after spending some time in spaces with you, hearing your story, a little bit about your background and everything, I said, this is awesome. I have to get into this. And you were actually the first one of one art in the NFT space that I actually purchased. So I just want to thank you for that because I feel like I'm in a cool club now that I have a one of one piece. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate you picking that up. Actually, it's I'm always honored whenever somebody new comes along and is just so, I guess, interested in the artwork and the project itself that they actually want to take money that they've hard earned and work and spend it that way. So I do value and appreciate that very much. We had a conversation about all the different areas of art that you're in, but tell us a little bit about that. You know, people that aren't familiar with your work or about you or what you do. So I've been doing art for a very long time. My grandfather was actually a an artist and he was also part of the Navy. So when he was out there, he would be drawing and painting. He was very good at painting, very well known for that. I got into the art aspect at a young age because I had seen the artwork that he had been doing. It inspired me to want to try it out on my own. Along with being obviously a young kid, cartoons, stuff like that always got to me. And I was like, man, I really want to try and figure out how to draw these. So I got into it at an early start around then. It, it really started to come uh, a little bit more stronger with me as I got into middle school to high school. I'm always in a few AP honors art classes. I had put pieces in for local art shows. Uh, I come in second on a few, first in a few. And then I moved to the world of tattooing became a big thing for me. I, I Growing up, I didn't have the, the greatest childhood or the ro greatest role models at, the, at that time. So I used to skip school a lot and you'd find me in tattoo parlors that were around the area locally. And I would always just sit in there for hours, just watching what they were doing, have them show me how to hold the machine correctly, what the different needles were and stuff. The idea of tattooing became like something I became obsessed with. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the styles of artwork. One of the guys that worked at one of the local shops around here actually started to break down the differences of the tattoos to me, going over American traditional, Japanese traditional, new school, old school, stuff like that. And it stuck with me until I decided I was going to start doing that. I did that for a while. And then we had our kids and 
the hours for tattooing become a little bit more demanding. So I left that back and then went on my own to designing tattoos for the people who would just pay me to do that on the side. Another thing that I did too was uh, while I was younger, I used to go out to car meets a lot and sit down and, and you know, draw or <laughs> draw slash tattoo with some Sharpie markers on the front fenders, hoods and stuff like that, mostly the Honda Civics, the Honda Del Souls. And I'd be paid to be able to do that as well. So I used to go out there and do that a lot. And then I also used to create clothing and shoes and I would just take permanent marker to draw some cool stuff on there, like tattoo style stuff. And Ed Hardy was real big back then. So that was like another inspiration of mine. They put those uh, tattoo styles on clothing. Then after a while, I decided there wasn't really going to be that much money in art. As I got a little bit more stable in my life and I, my family and I had a stable living environment. I put that to the side and focused on something that was in, to me anyway, was just a little bit more logical, which was computer engineering and information technology. I actually pursued a degree in that for an associate's degree. And uh, that's where I ended up until the web three thing came out. And now I'm here as an NFT artist, bringing back that dream of being an artist again. I love to hear how people actually end up in the NFT space, where they came from, a little bit about uh, with their art background, because of course, there's some people that are jumping in it for various reasons, whether it be the tech side, the art side, the story side, the business side. But hearing your art background, that's pretty cool. And hear that you, one of your inspirations was Ed Hardy, which is uh, <laughs> a little background about even the name Tropic Vibes around that whole Ed Hardy time. And this was actually a, a t-shirt brand that I actually had which I then used for my Xbox gamer tag. And uh, that is how the whole digital identity of Tropic Vibes came about. So hearing Ed Hardy was one of your inspirations. Cool. <laughs> Some of those t-shirts that I was designing, they were actually inspired by Ed Hardy things. And I incorporated some Caribbean style to it and threw in all sorts of flavor and culture. Yeah. So how'd you end up in the whole NFT space? How'd you hear about it? And how'd you end up putting your first piece onto the blockchain? How'd you get into it? I have my brother to thank for that one because we got into the crypto craze first and I started hearing about this whole Dogecoin thing taking off and it was very hard to find Dogecoin and then we got my brother Dallas got into it and we were both looking around on the different uh, sites and stuff and we started getting heavy into the whole trading crypto, day trading crypto and then um, as a few days went on, uh, we started hearing something, I, I, the first initial NFT, anything NFT wise was brought up by GameStop because uh, apparently GameStop was going to be creating these NFTs that were going to be going along with the pre-sales and pre-orders of video games. And my brother Dallas was all like, man, you really got to look into what these NFTs are because those could be worth money down the line too. Cause you know, they always come out with their like very specific things to GameStop. So fanboys will be all over that kind of stuff and we can make money on that in the future. And I was like, all right. So we started looking into it, made no sense. I couldn't understand this thing for the hell of me. So I was like, all right, I'm not too sure what this is. So a few more days go by and my brother comes back again and says that the guy who created Dogecoin is actually creating NFTs now and um, releasing them on Rarible. So we went on Rarible, started looking at those and then I found them and I was like, I don't understand. Are these, is this money? Is this not money? Is it tokens? Is it like, how does this work? I went on YouTube that night before I purchased it and I looked up and I found an old documentary where somebody was actually going in depth about what NFTs were and how they were basically art images and then people were putting them onto these blockchain things and they were becoming tokens and people were buying them for extreme amounts of money and then owning the rights to them and all this other stuff. So I got interested and I was like, okay. And then again, my brother comes back and says, why don't you try this? If you bring back your art skills and the stuff that you used to do with cartoons and tattooing and all of that and put that together, you could probably you know do something with it and sell your artwork. And I said, yeah, I'll give it a shot. 
so that's what I did. I, I ended up drawing the first week I was in the NFT space. I found out what OpenSea was. I found out that Twitter was the space to be in for NFTs at the time. Facebook was not. And I had never really used Twitter before. So that right there was a learning curve all on its own. I probably looked like a, a real big newbie coming into the space, not understanding how hashtags worked or not understanding if I was getting tagged in something, how that worked. So along with learning how to utilize Twitter, I started to figure out how OpenSea worked what lazy minting was and contracts. And and even then, I still only had a very generalized idea of this. Uh, nowhere near the kind of, I guess, the intelligence level I have now on the subject matter. But I ended up drawing what I thought everybody was doing at the time were animals. I saw animals everywhere, animals. So I decided to go ahead and start drawing these like panda bears. And I, I did them all by hand. Again, not knowing what a generative project was, I thought these people would draw these by hand. And I was like, man, this is insanity. Uh, but if they can do it, I could definitely do it. So I started going to town. I cranked out a whole bunch of them. Nobody seemed to really want them at the time. I didn't know at the same time that I had put them out there and tried to sell them. There was actually a 10K generative project called like Panda Golf Club or something like that had rugged everybody. So now people had that bad taste of a rug in their mouth and it, it was associated with a panda. And here I just spent all this time drawing all these pandas. So not to mention, I was also very new in the space at that time. This was back in June. And I think I sold like maybe two or three and gave away like two. And that after that, it was just a learning experience from there, learning about how people operate when they go to shill their stuff. And if you're over shilling or not shilling enough or not shilling appropriately, and there was a lot of etiquette, and a lot of learning. So it's definitely something that I thought I could jump in, make some NFTs, make some money and be like, yeah, this is awesome. And then just actually officially start being an artist again and, and professionally. But didn't work out that way. So <laughs> there was definitely some growth and some learning involved in that. Yeah. When I first heard about the generative projects and everything, I couldn't understand it myself either, because when I initially came into NFTs, it was through the Wax blockchain and it was under collecting cards. And it brought me back to Pokemon cards and all that. It was through a project called Blockchain Heroes, which basically made these trading cards digitally about various uh, people that are in the Web3 space, whether they worked on crypto and the NFT artists and the tech side of things, and it just made a meme and a collectible card version of that. So once I started to hear about generative art, I had no clue what that was either. And it was probably months before I actually found a solid video explaining what it was, how it was done and all that. And I was like, Oh, now it makes sense because <laughs> I thought it was, I, I was for a while, I was thinking was like the computer was just doing everything on its own. I'm like, so what, they just throw some code in there. And I was like, no, an artist actually puts it together. But the, the generative part is the computer randomizing. I was like, oh, why don't people say that? They just use all these big technical terms and they, <laughs> they don't explain it. So that's one of the reasons actually why I ended up starting this podcast, doing things in everyday language that people could actually understand and explaining this stuff. So it's pretty cool to have an artist in the space that's doing all this stuff. And even you had an issue with understanding that. So that's, I'm glad I shared that. And we're open enough to say that you actually drew a whole collection, which is amazing in itself. What was that like doing maybe a hundred pieces or whatever it might be and looking back at it, sharpen your skills a little bit more or get you used to the space or what, what exactly did that do? <laughs> oh man, that set me in so many different ways. So like I said, I'm sitting there on the couch and this is back when my wife was, you know, healthy and sitting on the couch with me. We were sitting there talking and I was like, I don't understand how they're doing this, babe. There's 10,000 pieces in this collection. That means an artist must have sat here and did that. And my wife, she didn't know any better either. And she, if they can do it, then you can do it. And she's like, you're very fast. You can do it. I'm like, yeah, but that's going to be a long time. And she's just start, she's like, you can keep sitting here complaining about it, get to it. And I was like, all right. So you started doing it. And I spent, I want to say somewhere a little over a hundred hours 
straight. I took a break throughout the day here and there, but I stayed up all night until almost a crack of dawn, slept for a few hours, went back at it again. And I must have cranked out just a little over like 214 pandas. And then I didn't know how to upload them correctly into OpenSea. So I had to do them each individually, one by one. I didn't know how traits were manually added back then when it comes to the collections on OpenSea. So I wasn't really adding any traits, which could have probably added a lot more time to the upload times. Um, but I put them all in there. And then, you know what I'm saying? Nobody was buying them. Everybody was buying these other things, these random things. And I was getting frustrated. I was like, what am I doing wrong? Am I not pushing this enough? So I tried pushing more. That didn't work. I tried getting into communities and trying to like, hey, look, I got these pandas. I didn't rush the pandas. Like I I can work pretty fast and still have very good end results. It's just something that I'm just naturally good at working fast and producing good quality art. So it's not like they were like throwing together or anything, but I hand drew each one had different traits on it. I, I did everything, made them look different. They weren't the same. And yeah, so I guess my frustration levels kind of got the best of me there. And I was like, you know what? I'm just done right now. This is probably just not going to be it. So let me just put this on pause. So I put it on pause and I I stopped uh, pushing the pandas as much and just sat back and learned more. But yeah, you definitely feel this sense of like frustration and visibility and the lack of knowledge becomes even more frustrating because everybody else in this space, even though it wasn't really around all that much longer before I joined in, these people still seemed way more advanced in this stuff than me. And then when I found out pricing for like, when I actually understood what a generator project was, it wasn't some crazy artist on speed cranking out 10,000 pictures. I realized that lower middle class, blue collared kind of person, like the average person, I don't have three, $4,000 just sitting in the bank that I can use to invest in somebody to help me build a generative program and put these in there and generate it out and have a dev team and all this other stuff that was required at the time. So I just kind of gave up on that and was like, all right, so maybe we should try something different and kept looking for more options and branched out from there. Is that what led you to the hoodlums or did you have the other collection before that? I had more collections before that. I still have collections that I add to on a regular basis. After a little bit of frustration with the whole Panda thing, I started realizing Maybe if I just did something out of left field that wasn't the same that everybody else was doing. And I went this at that time, the, the term was being coined, you know, the one of one artist. I was like, maybe I should try that stuff. And so my brother actually came to me and said, what you should do is you should interject both our heritage, which I'm a Latino or Hispanic, and also introduce the, the tattooing kind of stuff. Because at that point in time, there weren't almost virtually any tattoo artists in this space. And or anybody with previous tattoo artist experience or that, tar- or that tattoo art style. So I was like, all right. So I went ahead and I created a collection called Sugar Skull. There was this crypto sugar skulls. And at first they were just uh, skulls with tattoo collage images on their skulls. And then I was playing around with some different softwares that kind of made them a little animated and stuff. And people really seemed to like those went pretty quick. And then I created these girls called Sugar Babies. And they were young, attractive looking women with like really detailed, intricate tattoos on their bodies. And they were wearing the Day of the Dead uh, makeup on their faces. To give it even more of a twist, I ended up using different women from different cultures in the area and mythological belief systems and adding their goddess names to them and little information about them, kind of making it fun and something interesting to also collect because I'm also a history nerd and a mythology nerd. And the people really liked that. They sold pretty well. I only made a limited run of those. There was like maybe 15 to 20 in there. And that was just feeling around as to what I'm good at, what the space is going towards and what people would be more interested in when it comes to a one-on-one artist. After that, I explored another option with this one called Ink Society. And they gave the same generalized vibe of the uh, of the Crypto Sugar Skulls. And they were just PFP style characters, just something I was doing in the meantime while still trying to figure out like what I wanted to do. 
people liked those. They got picked up. I wasn't like selling these things for hundreds of dollars. They were relatively pretty cheap. And um, I usually worked in some like freebie stuff. Like in October, I did like 15 different art styles and handed them out to people who were holding for free. I give a lot of free stuff away. So people who are holding generally anything always end up with a lot of free stuff from me. And then when we get to the hoodlums, that came right after because I was just drawing the cartoon. I wanted to break away from like this whole really not safe for work, like tattoo, edgy characters that looked re more realistic than they did cartoon. And I was like, let me just go cartoon style because like I wanted to try something different. Everybody was all punks this and punks that. And I was like, well, let me try and do something out of the ordinary. So I did hoodlums. And uh, I just showed a sketch on NFT updates daily post when he was asking what you were working on. And it was just a very rough, sketchy outline. In my opinion, it wasn't that great, but everybody, you know, flocked to it and they commented about it. They loved the style of the eyes. There's just something, just something about the characters looked different. And because I was going against the norm of everything being punk and just adding another word at the end of it, seeing the word hoodlums and then these eyes and stuff and the way that it was portrayed through the text and stuff, people just really liked it. So. I was like, all right. And I really enjoyed drawing them. It was a lot of fun and it was free spirited. I got to inject a lot of my own personal life, my clothing styles, my friends, my you know family, people that I, I've met in the world. And I interject things about them into these characters, may it be their heritage, their clothing style, my clothing style and my heritage, other people's you know clothing styles, street styles, stuff like that. And I really enjoyed like the whole hip hop vibe. And there wasn't a lot of that going on at, at that time. I created these characters now that had these big white eyes that were very noticeable. And they had a very street ghetto kind of style to them. And they just didn't have any mouths. And I think that threw a lot of people through loops as well, because they're like, you know, we really like these, but there's no mouth, there's big white eyes. And they're just wearing like all this tattoos and jewelry and clothing. And uh, after that, it just became a little phenomenon and people started flocking to it. And, you know, hoodlums have been just growing ever since then, really. Yeah, those eyes definitely are iconic. Even when you do a collaboration, even before I uh, uh, picked up my piece, when I was looking around and I would see in the space instantly, when I saw something on Twitter, I knew it was a hoodlum just by those <laughs> eyes. They stand out for sure. And another thing that you mentioned is the fact that they don't have any mouths. And I remember when I was in the space with you, you actually, you gave a little background as to why they don't have any mouths. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So would you mind sharing that as far as the background, as far as your uh, upbringing, whatever, like when you're younger and how that inspired these hoodlums to not have any mouths? Yeah, of course. So, so obviously, if you go look in the collection, there's going to be some hoodlums in there that are going to have mouths on them. I just threw some mouths in there just because it was fun. It was some traits. Some of them are a little crazy looking. But the majority of them, including the original ones, obviously have no mouths. And a lot of the newer ones that I make that are either for myself personally or some I'll just throw in there don't have any mouths. And the reason that is, is because the whole idea behind hoodlums is that as a kid, I was subject to a lot of things. I didn't have the greatest home. I was Hispanic, so I got picked on for that racially. I was a little overweight as a kid too, got picked on for that. I got picked on for a lot of different things. And as I got older, I got into tattoos. So I have tattoos on me. I wore a lot of street clothes just because I, I liked the style of that clothing. It was just something that I resonated with more. And with my cousins and everybody that I was around, my friends. And I say that they don't have any mouths because no matter what we say, we're not heard. I could say I'm not a criminal. I didn't go to prison. I, that's not me. I didn't do that. I didn't rob that lady. I didn't stick that dude up. I didn't steal that car. And it didn't matter. If you fit the description, if you fit the profile, that was pretty much in game there. And that happened to me on multiple different occasions. So 
no matter what I said, it didn't matter. So I might as well have had no mouth at all to be able to speak. And that's, I guess you can say, an emotional or artistic style that I put into these guys to reflect that same thing. Some of these guys and girls look like if you saw them and if they were real people in the street, you'd be like, I'm going to go this way. But in reality, that they wouldn't do anything. If you look at it, it's almost like ironic because like we just did today and we've done a million times before, we donate things to poor kids to help other kids. Myself, I donated to a lot of different causes as well. So it's like you shouldn't always be just judging people on the way that they look. And, and by calling them names like hoodlums, that's why this collection is called hoodlums. I was called a hoodlum a lot when I was a kid. And it was just because I was sitting out front of a rich neighborhood. I would be sitting out front with my friend who actually lived there. But because I didn't dress the same, I didn't look the same. They were like, yo, there's a, there's these couple of hoodlums sitting down the street right there. They're sitting by a stop sign. And I'm just like, yo, really? What did we even do? Or we have cops come and they just get called on us. Like, yeah, we had a, a call about some kids just sitting up here at the front. I'm like, yeah, man, we're, we're not doing anything. And they're like, yeah, if you don't live here, then you need to get out of here. It was a public area. Like what? I couldn't just be there. I, I interjected all of that negativity and created this collection and even ironically named it the same thing that other people have labeled people like me and my friends in the past. From all the stuff that's happened to me as a kid, I, I interject a lot of that in here. Uh, a lot of these characters have darker skin. Some of them have lighter skin. I don't really seclude it to a single race because, for example, I'm pretty tan, dude. And then I got friends that are black. I have friends that are white. I got friends that are Asian. And it, it didn't really matter what skin color you were at that point in time because all of us, if we were living in the poverty area, that's just, that's, you were all looked at the same anyway. A lot of these are, are mocked up after a few of my friends, family members, cousins. And then there's obviously some that I, I turn into from like people that I've seen on TV and stuff. And then I give them this ghetto vibe and I bring them down to like what a hoodlum would look like if, if they were a hoodlum. So it's a very inclusive project. It, it shows the different sides of everything because it's not just hispanic people and it's a lot of different races out there that go through this kind of thing too and i make it a damn good point to make sure that everybody's included in this project and you can see a little bit of yourself you can see a little bit of someone in this project may it be the clothes that they wear or like the expression on their face I make it so that way these uh, all of these characters are relatable in some fashion that make you want to not only just collect and hold it but cherish it because it, it reminds you of something in your life I appreciate that because even the piece that I picked up of the alien at the time when I was picking that up, I had the funds to make a purchase of one. So I'm like, all right, which one am I going to pick? And I'm looking through the catalog. And when I saw the alien, that one is the one that spoke to me personally because I tweeted about it. However, I never really mentioned it on the podcast to say that that piece to me, when I see an alien, someone is from like a different planet or sticking out. But also you can't tell by the accent, but I am from Jamaica and I grew up in New York and I, I moved back to Jamaica. So it's like on both sides of the border, if you will, is I kind of stick out in New York. It's oh, that's the Jamaican guy or in Jamaica. Oh, I'm the American guy or like you said, the different cultures where I went to school was right on the border of the good schools with all the wealth where IBM and everything was. And literally right down the road, it was uh, the hood and the background. <laughs> yeah. The, the neighborhood I grew up in, people's backyards were cut in half based on they drew the line around where IBM workers lived and worked and they started their own school district. And by luck of the draw, I ended up on the good line and my mother did everything possible to keep me on that side. So when I'm going to school with them, so you don't have the money, you don't have this, you don't have that and the culture. And then, of course, when I go back to my neighborhood, I'm on the line. I say, Man, listen to how you talk. Like, you're not one of us. So like, that alien <laughs> stuck out to me. I'm like, yeah, this guy is totally out there. And so that is the reason why I picked up that piece. And I thought it was cool. And I'm looking at the rest of the collection. I, I appreciate the, the story saying all of that because I can relate to it. And I think a lot of people can. So that is really cool that you just put some thought into this. And it's not just, oh, let me just throw some art out there and just hope somebody buys it. This actually has a story. 
So I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you taking the time to look into it and, and listen to it. I, I feel like that gets overlooked a lot in the space. It's just because there's so many projects out here, especially like PFP. And like I've said before, in the spaces that we were in, I don't even like calling it a PFP project. I like calling it a one of one character project because I'm not designing something for you just to use as a profile picture. Like they're, they're characters. And if everything goes the way I want it to, hopefully down the road there, they actually characters themselves and they actually come to life and we can actually see how they would act, talk, walk and stuff like that. And that brings me to the next point about the whole thing. As far as the collection goes, it is so much more than, like you said, just collecting profile pictures. And you actually have a really cool, tight-knit community. I've heard it described as like the Goonies, as you said one time. And tell us a little bit about that, having that community aspect of it, other than just having art out there. It's been pretty good. So like, obviously, with any art project or any project in the NFT space, there are many revenues and many different doors that you can go through. A lot of these big uh, 10K generative projects, they'll go with the route of influencer help, paid promotions, um, stuff like that, kind of cattle shooting people into their discords. Discord was like this massive thing. It just became overwhelming. Like before I even created the Hoodlums Discord, I was in a lot of other dis discords for gen, uh, 10K gen projects and stuff like that. Man, I tell you, it's like an almost... And an instant panic attack. You're just like, what the fuck is going on? Like you, you say hello. And then it's like 50 people comment back and it's not even to you. It's just like you're ignored. And it just goes to the next person, two other people are having a conversation and bam, it's like PTSD war zone in there. So it's just like, wow. So I didn't want that from my community. I was like, you know what? If I'm going to have a community, I want to know the people. I'm not in a rush to get a million followers and a million community members. I want to know each one of the people individually. I feel like maybe more of a, instead of a community, it's more like a family-based, like inside of the Discord or like just on Twitter, period. Like we stand up for each other. We help each other out. I wanted it to grow organically. I wanted people to be here that actually wanted to be here and hold their NFTs, not just pick it up and be like, all right, I'm going to make 10X on this tomorrow. And if I don't, I'm dropping the entire floor. And there's people in here that we've, that I've met from different projects from just doing collabs with them and they come over and I, like I said before, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say, why hasn't this blown up yet? Or man, this art is badass. I'd be sitting on a couple million dollars myself, but <laughs> I just, I love it when people come in and they're really happy about it like that. And they really do admire and appreciate the artwork and just the project itself. But my, my way of building community is like, if you want to be in the discord, then you're more than welcome to join it. We have the links and to get into the, the discord is always available to anybody, but I'm not going to sit here and, and try to force people into the discord. We do some things that are inside the discord that are for the people who are there. And that's just because, you know, they wanted to be there. So I reward them a little bit by doing some things that are discord specific, but it's nothing that's so drastic that everybody's going to start jumping into the discord and i'm going to go from 200 discord members to a thousand discord members overnight i want the project to grow organically i like getting community members involved in the project because i am a one of one and we drop weekly it does usually give me a, a good amount of time to not only get to know the people that are in the community but like i said help build the project so i'll go in there and i'll say all right this week we're going to do the small we're going to be finishing off the set for the tv icons somebody throw out some ideas and then People really like throwing out their ideas and just watching me turn their idea into a hoodlum. And some people are blown away with it and they try to pick it up really quick. Um, but I feel like that slow, steady, organic growth is good. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. It hurts sometimes whenever you get on Discord or not on Discord, but on Twitter and you're in the account and you, people are following you and then boom, they just, they're gone. And um, then they're over here with this 10K project buying up that kind of stuff. And I understand, you know, if people are here to make money, they're going to, do their own things here and there out of 10 people that may have joined and nine people left one person stayed and that one person is just as valuable to me as 10 people are 
because that one person's going to be here for a while. That one person took the time to be here, just like yourself. Or like you came in, you were a part of this. And just like I held that space that one night, it was what, two people in there, maybe less than two. But that's how much I value a, an individual person joining. I will hold a space and sit there for hours, just talking about myself, talking about the project, educating in any which way I can. Just to set myself apart from the fact that I want to build a very long lasting project that will go and stretch into the future and not just be here for this little, you know, pump and dump craze of the nft space definitely and we're seeing some crazy things happen right now and even in with that said i think that your community definitely is there for the long run and sticking around and i think part of that is the way you've gamified the actual collection of things so you want to talk a little bit about that like some of the benefits i guess you would say that is incentivizes people to be active in the community and, and collect and try to uh, mix and match and get sets and what have you Oh, yeah, for sure. One of the cool things about the hoodlums is that we're like a collection inside of a collection with multiple little collections. So if you go into the collection and you look to the left and you scroll all the way down to where the T's are, you'll see the word theme in there. You'll see these different themes there where like type is set, type is duo. And basically how that works is, which one can I use for an example? So for a duo, I'll create, we have a duo that's in there. We had Ash Ketchum, which was my version of Ash Ketchum. And then my version of Misty from the Pokemon show, which I called them Hoodlamons. I'll play on words <laughs> just to make it fun and then make sure that I'm not copywriting anything. There was a duo. They were released at different times. So it wasn't, they weren't both dropped at the same time. And if you collected both of them, then you got a free third one. And the third one was for that specific duo was a little hoodlum looking Pikachu. And uh, you got that for free. All you had to do was just pay the gas for it. So one perk is to collect duos to get one free, which you can either you know sell later on on the secondary or you can keep. Um, the other one is set. And set can range anywhere between 4 to 20 to 100. It really just depends on what specific set it is. But that also adds to the rarities. So duos are like really rare because it's only going to be that duo. And then after that character is not going to show up again, or any of that character's traits are going to show up again because it's just, it's just based on that specific character. As far as like the sets go, we have a, a specific set called the Horror Hoodlums. I started them back in October and been releasing them slowly, but there's going to be like 20 of those. So if you own one and in the description or in the traits, it says Horror Hoodlum as the theme and it says type set, you know, that could be rare. So let's say you cornered the market and caught all 20 of those. The 20 you have are one of ones. They're not going to show up in the collection again. So that's going to create a rarity on those on its own, along with the rarities that are in there that I manually enter every time I upload one in there. So you have chances to collect from different sets, different duos. The trading aspect is if I picked up a duo and you picked up a duo and we both have one half of it, but we both got to do it, there's going to be a trading system involved there. And so that's always fun. And then we also have more perks and rewards that go along with that. Like the more you hold, I know if you hold like 10 or more, you're considered a hoodlum in the Discord. And by holding that many, you also are now getting these, these, what I'm calling suits and they're custom tailored suits. So you can come to me with any print. I've had people come to me with the Paisley print. I did one with a Gucci print. I've had people come to me with some pretty cool stuff where they wanted, there's an anime show called One, one Suit or One Piece. And uh, he wanted a suit made like that. So you get those for free and then you get to collect those. Uh, we have coins and stuff in there as well. The coins act as like a reward system. So Certain coins will get you certain things and collecting certain amounts of certain coins can be traded in for other coins or other tickets we have. And uh, we usually have all that detailed out in the Discord. And then that also gets you your chances at getting a hazardous hoodlum, which is like our take on 
the mutations that everybody's been doing. Again, wanted to go a different route, so I call them hazardous hoodlums. All of these will definitely have plays in the future for end goal results. And then we also have our collection with 3D hoodlums. Those are super rare. They drop very rarely. I think there's only one available in there now. And normally we either give them away or just push them in there for sale. And then we have our collab collection too, which if you're holding a certain number of hoodlums, it either gets you private auction rights with some of them or I get you airdropped ones, depending on which ones we're doing at that moment in time, because we do auction some of them off where all proceeds go to the Florida Kids Foundation. It's just amazing that all these different things are coming in one one project, but then you have more utility than some of these huge generative projects with promising the world, but you're actually doing stuff with your community. The art is great. And I just think it's really awesome what you're doing, what you're building. And I really see this as something not just like a fly-by-night operation that's going to fade away, but it's building organically. And uh, Brian Fanzo, who is uh, minting NFTs every single day, which is crazy for an entire year, he has this term, he calls it a slow burn project. And this is definitely a slow burn project, is growing organically, no overnight pop with, say, $100,000 worth of ads. It's really cool what you're doing. I have to say that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's what I wanted to shoot for, was people to get that kind of if you can come into this project, you can look around it, you can read it, you get to know us, you talk to us, and, and that's the end result that you come up with on your own, but then I'm doing my job. That's the kind of uh, idea that I want implanted in people who come and see this project's heads. And this space, there's lots of ups and downs, crazy things, and trying to balance out our personal life and all that. How do you, you juggle all of this stuff? And this is a crazy space as an artist and just life in general, things are going up and down and anything that you would say to really anyone that wants to get into the space, what's going on and how you juggle all that, just any advice to throw out there? I'm not going to lie. Some people can come in here and they got those horseshoes up their ass. Like they come in, they throw something out, bam, they're making money. They don't really have to try that hard. And that's great for them. That's always good to see somebody succeed that easily. But more times than not, you're going to, you're going to struggle. You're going to fall down. You're going to feel like everybody's either against you you're going to have those days where you're, you're running up on cloud nine because you're selling a few things. And then there's going to be a few weeks where you're going to go without selling anything. It's just, you just, if you want to succeed and you want to be something that's memorable or legendary in this community, we're still relatively early in here. So there is still time for you to make that mark. But if that is something that you truly want, then you need to learn that discipline where if you say you're going to have such and such amount drop this day, you need to have such and such amount drop that day. It doesn't matter what happens in life. You have to get it done. Obviously, things come up and you can always communicate that openly with your community. Be honest and upfront with them. Don't just wait until the last couple of seconds and be like, oh, nothing's coming out today. I, I have been in some pretty horrific situations myself in the past couple of weeks and actually a couple of months since I joined the space. <laughs> and uh, I still haven't you know, broken away from my determination for this as well. So you can always do it. You just you can't give up and you can't just let, you know, you got to stay focused and in your own lane. If you're matching, if you're an artist and you're drawing something and someone else is drawing something and you are spending more time looking at their drawing, looking at their success, looking at their money, looking at what they're doing, instead of focusing on what you're doing, you're making no progress with your own. And all you're doing at that point is just putting yourself into a lower, darker place to not succeed. So you're putting, essentially putting nails in your own foot to the ground and you're never going to move anywhere from that spot. So it's always good to put those blinders on, stay focused. It's always good to obviously praise other people who are in the space, befriend other people in the space, share, be an actual community member. Don't just come in here and be just an artist and just somebody who's looking to grab money. Tell somebody else that they're doing a good job because they could be in the same situation that you're in. And in turn, they appreciate what you're doing. And that's building those bridges and relationships with other people. 
don't just shield them your work. Just be like, hey, how are you today? <laughs> and actually have a meaningful conversation as if you met that person in a coffee shop. Don't just be like, hey, how are you today? Oh, by the way, I just dropped 12 of these. Bam, here you go. Take a look. Like that just makes you annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that no, nobody likes that guy. But yeah, I appreciate all that, man. And everything that you shared just really should resonate with people. And I think especially during these times, we're just going through a crazy week, crazy month. Really since the beginning of the year, it's been rough. But definitely this week is a lot of negativity in the space. I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that is really a great spot to really let sink into the listeners. But is there anything that you'd like to uh, share with upcoming drops or where can we find your work? Of course, uh, anything that you do share, I'll put it in the show notes, any links or to your social media or anything like that. It's best place for anyone to really pick up the vibes and, and get into your project, get some of this art. Yeah, as of right now, it's just, you know, it, on our Twitter, we share everything um, on the Hoodlums Twitter. I also share stuff on my JTunes Twitter account. But we have announcements in our Discord for people who are in there so that way they know when they're coming. I also do sneak peeks in there so people can see what are coming out. I will save a few of them until Thursday. Thursday is when I usually do a full review or a reveal of how many are coming out. Each week, the number of how many are going to be dropped is dictated on how many are still left from the previous drops. I do know that we've had a few like sellout drops, and then we had maybe four left over from a, a bigger drop. And so I've been limiting these drops to about three to four at a time. So we don't overwhelm the project with a bunch of them in there. For, but you can find anything in there. And we also have a Instagram where I usually will post some stuff there as well. So there's no way to miss it as long as you're following the Twitter account for the hoodlums or you're either in the discord. So we have them literally posted everywhere. Awesome. And at this point in time, they are very affordable. They're not breaking the bank. It's not like you're asking for ETH for one piece. No, the, uh, the hoodlums are uh, 0.04 ETH. Which right now with the price of ETH, I think is like anywhere between 80 and 100 bucks. And then gas, obviously, on top of that. If you hold more than 10 or you hold 10 or more hoodlums, then you also, one of the things we do is every month we do a wheel spin for 0.05 worth of ETH. And one of the people holding 10 or more get that as a prize if it lands on them on the wheel. Every month, if you're holding that many, you have a chance to get some of that money back and basically end up with a hoodlum for free. Awesome. So all the more reason to get some. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate that, man, and spending the time with me, sharing uh, about your project, sharing everything, background story. Yeah, of course, man. I appreciate you taking the time to, to sit here and talk with me about it. So that was really fun. And since recording this, I actually picked up my second piece from the collection. It was inspired by Uncle Phil because that was my favorite TV dad. And when I saw that piece immediately, I just knew I had to have it. So now I'm up to two. Another thing that we forgot to mention or didn't really touch during this interview was the fact that he actually has a collection with his daughter called Little Tunes. I'll leave the link to the Twitter page in the show notes for that. And I just think it is just so amazing, the different angles and how he's approaching this art space, this NFT space. And I really believe he's doing things the right way. And I expect to see him years and years and years down the line because he's not cutting corners and he's just building a family, not a quick community. So as usual, I want to thank you for spending this time with me as we're learning and building Web3 together. So until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.